Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Lord God, give us your wisdom this day. Help us to understand the truths that are in your word and help us to live by them for Christ's sake and for our benefit. Amen. Money, money, money. Is it a rich man's world? You know, I thought I'd start off uh, this morning by singing you an Abba song. (laughs) But I figured that that would be cruel and inhuman punishment uh, and wouldn't be edifying for anyone and rather embarrassing for me. But uh, I do want to talk today about money. Money in the book of Proverbs. And uh, like our uh, reflection last week on conflict in the book of Proverbs, I'm not particularly looking only at that passage that was read, for this will be a thematic rather than a passage-based sermon. And my goal in doing that is that you might think about what it means to be wise at money, about money at this stage of your ministry and for the future. And to explore some of the underlying issues that may raise their head when money is at stake. It seems to me it's good for us to talk about money issues in ministry, and we don't do it often enough. I should tell you that our own Brian Rosner has written a couple of helpful books on money. One I particularly like is How to to Get Really Rich. Apart from the tacky cover, I mean, I don't know who designed this. Do do you like the cover? Oh, no. No. The, the colour, the font, it's, it's all. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I got the original. <laughs> the thing about uh, uh, those kind of things, they're outside the control of the author in most cases. They're usually the publishers who have the say in that. But despite its cover, it's a really helpful book in at least two ways. Uh, One, it shows how insidious greed is and it explains how hard it is to be content. And it's that theme of contentment in relation to money that I want to focus on as we look at the book of Proverbs. Well, let me start uh, perhaps in the the odd place, the place where most prosperity preachers start in the book of Proverbs, and that is in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, it sounds like, at first glance, a recipe for a formula for business success. Pay your dues to God and watch the money roll in. But there's always a danger of treating this like a promise, isn't it? Proverbs are not meant to be promises, but we focus, or prosperity preachers on this verse, focus on the second part of the verse. The money will roll in, your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will be brimming with new wine. But if you look at the context of chapter 3, the real focus is on the first part of that honour the Lord, which doesn't mean make a few token prayers to God identify with God's people every now and then, but honour the Lord. It's used in parallel with other uh, uh, requests there. Verse 5, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Honour the Lord. That's what uh, this passage is really about. Um, One person described it not as the uh, source of prosperity teaching, but actually the gospel to the rich. For those who have wealth, to honour the Lord with your wealth. And it's really a challenge more than anything else. There's no promise of abundant wealth there for people who follow God, any more than there's a promise of long life and peace. I always like to apply the Jesus test when I read passages like this, because did Jesus have long life? Did Jesus have a nice trouble-free life? Did Jesus have lots of wealth? But he was someone who trusted God, who feared the Lord, who honoured the Lord. And that Jesus test suggests that some readings of this text may be readings where people find what they want to find. They want to have their barns filled with uh, um, plenty and they want to have their coffers in their churches filled with plenty as well. But, of course, this is part of Proverbs chapter 1 to 9, which provides context for the whole book. And we looked a bit about this last week. There are three key ideas in Proverbs chapter 1, all of which must shape our thinking about money. The first is the importance of starting with the right foundation, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The second is the ongoing choice to choose wisdom rather than folly. And both those themes have been brought up already in chapter 1 of Proverbs. And chapter 2 in Proverbs picks up the third of the themes, the importance of having your character shaped, or what's called in chapter 4, your heart. So always watch your heart because out of it comes everything you do. So those three things of starting in the right place with the fear of God, treating God as God, keeping on choosing God's path of wisdom rather than other paths of folly, and having your character shape are important principles for the book of Proverbs. Of course, if that's applied to the book of Proverbs, it means that part of the character that is being shaped is a character that rejects the pathway of greed and sees a focus on generosity of spirit, of caring for others, of using whatever you have for the needs of others. And that's part of the foundation of honouring the Lord. So what are we to make of money in the book of Proverbs in the light of uh, those introductory chapters? Well, it is one of God's good gifts, isn't it? We need to acknowledge that. Chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessings of the Lord bring wealth without painful toil for it. Or in chapter 13, The righteous are rewarded with good things. Chapter 11, one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. That it is a gift from God for which we are to give thanks. We're not to say that money is a root of all evil. After all, it's a phrase, the love of money is a root of all evil. Money is a good gift from God. And what we can do with it opens up enormous possibilities uh, in our lives and ministries. But... Don't treat money as being more valuable than it is. It's not the be-all and end-all of the good life. And the book of Proverbs tells us explicitly that there are other things that are worth more than money. So, for example, wisdom in chapter 8 is of greater worth than wealth. 
wholesome relationships in chapter 17, verse 1, are worth more than money. Godly character is worth more than money. In chapter 22, as we read, a good name. Or in chapter 28, walking with integrity. Those things are worth more than money. Righteousness in chapter 11 is worth more than money. Honour is worth more than money. And if wisdom is allowed to shape our character, who we are, shape our heart, then the way we use our wealth must be consistent with a godly character. Not being greedy, not coveting what others have, not having as our goal in life making as much money as possible, which is another way of saying worshipping money. And it will lead us to think in community terms that our money is to be shared with others and be committed to justice and righteousness. You see, when we come to the book of Proverbs and its picture of the good life, one writer said, what you are is foundational of the good life. What you have is a secondary matter. And the book of Proverbs ends with a terrific picture of a generous life in relation to money in the Proverbs 31 woman who grounds her life in God, grows in character, chooses what is right and uses her wealth to provide for others in the community, her family and those outside. It's not used for self-indulgence. Indeed, in the book as a whole, the appropriate response to gaining wealth is not the accumulation of further riches, but rather generosity to those in need. Did you notice in our Bible reading in verse 9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs, like the rest of the Old Testament, indeed the Bible as a whole, endorses care for rather than exploitation of the poor and needy in our community. So what do we do when we're not content? We're tempted to rip others off, to cut corners, to be tight-fisted and to lust after more money. That's the outworkings of greed, not the outworkings of a contentment of character. Well, we find in Proverbs chapter 30 a really interesting uh, verse. It's actually the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. And Agur prays in the beginning of verse 8, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. What are the two things you'd ask for? Well, here are, keep falsehood and lies far from me. He wants a character of integrity. And he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. It seems there are dangers about both wealth and poverty. And Agur's prayer is that he won't be seduced by having too much or too little. And a key danger for those of us who have some wealth, and that includes, oddly enough, most of us, even though we're poor theological students by and large, is that we value wealth too highly and the danger, the temptation has become self-sufficient so that we no longer see the need to trust in God. The temptation of being poor is is, uh, different, but it's just as deadly. A solution to the brute fact of poverty is to take something that belongs to another person, dishonouring the name 
of the God we serve. But one clear goal of the good life, according to Proverbs, is the virtue of contentment. Listen to chapter 15. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Or in chapter 16, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. You see, the secret is just by letting money be money, not letting money be God and being content with that. The depiction of character in Proverbs involves not wanting to give money too prominent a place in our desires. And so truly honouring God would involve keeping our lives free from the love of money. Well, that's not just a quirk of the book of Proverbs. That's a consistent teaching right through scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, though Jesus was rich, for yet for your sake he became poor. And Jesus is described in Philippians 2 as emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, not standing on his rights or entitlements, but becoming human and humiliated for our sake. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. A great motto for ministry. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And the opposite of contentment, as Brian puts out in his book, is greed. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, greed is idolatry. But is that an important issue for us in ministry? It's all very well to say it's the teaching of the Bible, we know that, but why should that affect our future life and ministry? Well, I think we want to ask how we can avoid sending the wrong signals about the place of money in life. We'll be in a public uh, situation, a public setting. How do we get the balance right between wanting to care for our families, to make provision for our future and to care for our churches and yet to testify in our life that we're content with what God gives us, be that little or much. How can we set the tone in our churches or communities because we will set the tone on this issue of money for good or ill? Well, is this a temptation for you as a theological student? Richard Foster identified three key temptations for Christians, money, sex and power. If they're temptations for Christians, why wouldn't they be also temptations for Christians in ministry and therefore for theological students and theological faculty? The world's holding us to account on issues like sex and the abuse of power, and quite rightly so. Will they stop at that? Or will they move on to ask about money? There are moves afoot to challenge various uh, money benefits that churches have at the moment, rates exemptions, tax benefits of employees, the lack of transparency about what money we have. It's coming. Are our answers going to uh, answer the or pass the pub test or the front page of the age test? Are we going to look like hypocrites before a watching, judging world? 
church's track record on money is a, a very mixed bag. In church history, there's a famous meeting between Pope Innocent IV and Thomas Aquinas. And the Pope was showing uh, Aquinas around the various treasures of the Vatican and looking at all the silverware and all the, the ostentatious wealth. And he said, you know, back in the Acts 4, St Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but we don't have to say that anymore, do we? And Aquinas came back and said, but Peter also uh, said there, and we can't say that today, to a lame man, get up, take, pick up your bed and walk. We've, lost the, we've gained the wealth, but we've lost the spiritual vitality of the early church. You know, one of the temptations I think that we might face in our future years of ministry is that prosperity gospel teachers often have big churches with the ability to give lots of money, squeezed out of them perhaps, but uh, given nonetheless. And the temptation is to be like them, to say the things that they say with the hope of getting the same results. But will we lack that spiritual cutting edge that we hope to train you in here at Ridley if we get sucked in on the issue of wealth? Will we start to favour the rich and important? We saw that in, as an issue in James 2 earlier in the semester. Will we give preferential treatment to the wealthy, to the big givers in our congregation? Remember a friend of mine uh, was working in a, a town in another state and one man in that church employed about half the people in the town and he was a member of their church. He had inordinate power due to his wealth and whichever way he voted, he had so many followers with him. Do we preference their views simply because they are able to cripple the ministry of the church by withholding their cash? That will be a real temptation in ministry. And even before that, will we make decisions about ministry largely on the basis of money? We say things like, I trained as a doctor, or I trained as a lawyer, or I trained as a merchant banker. I don't want to give that up just to do Christian ministry. We have to ask the question when we're here, should I only stay here for a, a one-year qualification or should I dedicate my whole life to Christian ministry? And sometimes we evaluate that question on the basis of which is going to be better for me financially. It's much more than a financial decision. Do I really need more money to be content? Now, I'm not suggesting there's only one answer to those complex issues, but they're issues that we need to think through and to be aware of how powerful a pull money can have over our ministry and mission decisions. I see a reluctance amongst Christians to go into the mission field because conditions are harder there. The earnings are very small and uncertain and rely on the giving of others. Will we be open to going in the mission field, taking a family with us, giving up a, a relatively secure income even in a local church or a secular job? Do we feel anxious about losing the little money we have or even within our own state? Do we choose to go to a church in the eastern suburbs because it would be more financially secure 
a better house and a better street. But actually not having as great a need of ministry as somewhere in the outer suburbs or the western suburbs. Do we let money drive our ministry and mission decisions? Obviously it's a part of the equation, but are we giving it too much prominence? The last thing I want to say is the kind of values and decisions that you make in theological college are the ones that you generally live with for the rest of your ministry and life. If you don't learn contentment in relation to money here and now, you'll find it very hard to learn it later on. So the patterns you set now are very important to think about. What do you want to stick with for the rest of your ministry? Will you be content in relation to the issue of money? Will enough be enough? Money, money, money. Is it a rich man's world? The book of Proverbs tells us it's a contented person's world. And God wants to shape and reshape our values, even where it hurts, even on the issue of money. The issue of money for Christians is not just about how much we give to the work of God, but the way in which we need to confront the temptation to greed in our own life and to opt for contentment and trust in God. Let's pray. Lord God, please be with us in these difficult matters. Please help us to think them through with honesty and integrity. And please help us to honour you with our whole life. In Jesus' name, amen.